Welcome to the Cabana. This is the Mike Stoker Podcast. I'm Dean Wilson along with the Honorable Mike Stoker. The great Nolan Anderson is with us. He is our, among other things, Nolan Anderson is our resident millennial fact checker and an all-around good guy. Thanks, um, yeah, you bet. And we're, we're and you're our all-around gener- generation Xer. I am a Gen Xer. Mike is a baby boomer. This is Perhaps the first multi-generational podcast being hosted in a cabana a half a mile from the Pacific Ocean that we know of. It's 67 degrees with a slight ocean breeze in the cabana this morning. It's a beautiful day. Life is good. There's a lot to talk about. If you haven't had a chance, make sure you go check out episodes one and two on the California recall and the situation in Afghanistan, which we'll update on a little bit today as we get an opportunity. Uh, but, But today's show, episode three... We're talking about essentially the first 200 days. Uh, the Biden administration has been in office uh, about 200 days. And so Mike is going to give us a little bit of a scorecard on what's happened, what's going on, where we are, what's going on in the world. Um, so that's the purpose of today's program. Make sure you check out episodes one and two. Make sure you tell a friend. We're on seven platforms now. We're seeing the traffic build. So it's great to have you with us. Um, and we hope you enjoy it. Mike. Well, first, we got to go to Nolan, who's always going to give us updates from previous shows. Thank you, Mike. Yeah, I can give you a little update. Um, since we talked last, the last episode we talked about was the situation in Afghanistan. Since then, we've had 37,000 people airlifted out. And hopefully, we're going to see a lot more um, whoever's wanting to get out of the country, get out of the country. Um, we have a hard end date. Um, we should have a report coming out soon. Whether or not that's going to be kept to, um, the Taliban came out on Monday night and said it's a red line in the sand. Either you respect it or you don't, and if you don't, there's going to be some big consequences. And that's August 31st. That's August 31st. Yes. Yeah, so, so we have an August 31st, essentially red line red established line. by the Taliban, where mm-hmm. where, the, where the United States has been ordered essentially mm-hmm. to have all Americans and allies out of the country. Exactly. See, and, I I preferred it in the old days when the United States gave our enemies, the red line, As opposed but, to the but now, now it's the other way around. So, <laughs> but you know, the, the but that is good news. 38,000 people evacuated. Mm-hmm. Um, I recently have spoken to really good friends of mine that were in the state department, the Trump administration, uh, national security council. Uh, you know, they are, con- they feel really confident that, that the one, that red line means a lot, but they basically believe the Taliban have said, Okay, this is our transition period. Don't mess with you. We don't need to mess with the United States right now. They're going to be out. They're going to listen to our red line. And once that date is come and gone, we're in control. And that's when you're going to see the, the real bad things that come out a, of Sharia law and radical Islam uh, as practiced by the Taliban in Afghanistan. But they feel confident that they, they, don't, they don't feel confident that we can get out you know the 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 afghan citizens that you know that helped us in afghan afghanistan again the taliban have the the entire peripheral of the airport surrounded with checkpoints we can get some out but they feel that august 31st going to come that red line is really they mean to, to to adhere to it um and there are going to be a lot of people that we would have liked to have gotten out that it's just the United States that will never get out. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I think updates we're going to hear from Nolan, you know, in the months to come, there's not going to be a, a pretty picture of, um, 
of what's 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 going to be happening in Afghanistan under the leadership of the Taliban. Mm-hmm. So as we've mentioned before, it's a good time to pray for the situation in Afghanistan. If you're a praying person, it's it's very much uh, a critical moment. And August 31st being this, this this imposed deadline, it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next seven days. Touching on the recall, I wanted to ask you something, Mike, because so, I read an article this morning, and, and I, I can see this both ways, where there are – this article that I was reading was talking about the fact that, you know, uh, Larry Elder being the front runner entering the race is a good thing for Gavin Newsom because people are saying, because Gavin Newsom is going all over the state to events saying he's to the right of Trump. What happens if something happens to Dianne Feinstein? The entire control of Congress is at stake. And because Larry Elder is such a, you know, radical right winger, that that's good for Gavin Newsom. There's, there's the other school of thought that says, well, Larry, Larry Elder has a name ID and it's finally a candidate that people can be enthusiastic about. So it's bad for Gavin Newsom. Which is it? I, I think, it, well, number one, we talked about it on the recall show. I mean, Larry Elder is the one that brought all the energy, that much more energy, and all the polling that we talked about on the recall show switched within seven days. I mean, there was a 10-point per, per, swing once Larry Elder got in. So he... He definitely has brought the, there was energy for the recall. Now there's really energy because you got a candidate. And, you know, politics is just because Newsom calls him far right wing doesn't mean he's far right wing. Right. I mean, personally, I think, you know, is he a conservative? Yeah. Um, You know, is he far right wing? He's nowhere near as far right as the progressives, as, as Elizabeth Warren and, 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 and Bernie and Sanders are far left. Um, and again, you know, and we'll talk about this uh, a little bit today, I think, on, on with the, the compa- what's going on with the Biden administration, some comparisons to Trump. Um, he can be to the right of Trump. I don't think Trump lost because of his policies. Trump lost because of his personality. People voted against the man. Um, I think when we go through the scorecard today, there's a lot of people that prefer the Trump policies, the more conservative policies, than prefer, you know, basically the, uh, you know, the, the policies, what we're getting with Biden. So, you know, is California as conservative as Larry Elder? No. Uh, if you take the, the voters. Is California not want a pompous, elitist governor that goes when he shuts down all of California to fundraisers in Napa, drinks $300 bottle of uh, wine, or, or was it $300 a glass? I forget what the mainstream media reported, sitting shoulder to shoulder with, with contributors, uh, not wearing face masks, not social distancing, you know. That that's something, you know, we talked about earlier in, in the earlier show, you know, Nolan said that ticks millennials off. They don't want they don't want people that that have, you know, these are your rules, but I'm 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 above it. I can make my own rules. That's what Gavin Newsom is all about. And it's basically I mean, I've lived my life in politics and in political campaigns. You try to come up with a, you know, a one liner. And they tried originally, if you look at the, 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 the recall, and it didn't work. They tried with TV commercials that said that this is a, you know, a Trump power grab. And people in California went, this isn't a Trump power grab. Like, this is about Newsom. I don't see Trump anywhere around on, 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 this, on this stage. That didn't work. So now they have Larry Elder. They're afraid of Larry Elder. So when you're afraid of somebody, 
in politics, when you're losing, you go to negative campaigning. When you're winning, you don't go to negative campaigning. You know, when you're winning, you're, you're running your, your positive ads about you. When you're losing, you run negative ads about the other person. So the fact that Newsom is now putting all their energy in that campaign on trying to attack Larry Alder as this far right person, um, you know, that, that tells me the Newsom camp is really, really concerned. And at the end of the day, look at, you know, I always tell voters, look, you know, in today's world, um, you know, as Nolan knows, our millennial that always goes to Google, you can Google his his positions. You can bring it up, bring it up. He's not far right. He's pretty much a middle of the road centrist to the right. And he's been on, um, you know, doing talk radio talk show for a long time and podcasts, and he's got a record of that. So, you know, um, I, I don't I, I think it's a good thing when you say which one is it? It's both. It's Larry Alder really has brought a lot of energy to the recall, which is why I now have been saying in the last three weeks, I finally believe this recall could be successful and Larry Alder could be our next governor. And it's also the other. Um, it's it's Newsom afraid and getting in panic mode. So when you're in panic mode in a campaign, you go to negative campaigning. Hmm. That's what I think this is all about. Today we are. And on that happy note, uh, yeah. I, I, I actually I have a quick question for you, Mike. So you've been in you know war rooms and talking about funding and making sure everything's above board. There was a report that came out uh, in, from the Times that talked about Elder failing to disclose business, and they quickly m made a change and they came out with the following statement: "We made a simple mistake and we fixed it as soon as possible." These investigations are very common in the campaign world. Are these com as common as? They're saying, it's oh, just, yeah, no, this I mean, happens all you, the time. you know, what happens all the time. Can, I mean, I, can, candidates against other candidates every day file complaints if it's a congressional campaign with the Federal Elections Commission and file complaints with what's called the Fair Political Practice Commission, the FPPC mm -hmm. in California, because it doesn't cost you anything. You file the complaint. It's an allegation. Ninety five percent of them go away, get dismissed, but they get dismissed six months later after a cam campaign. So. <laughs> If I want right now, if I'm Newsom, I can file a complaint with the FPPC. And then what I can do is the FPPC will acknowledge a complaint has been filed against Larry Alder mm -hmm. for the following. It's an allegation. You now can take that letter. You can put it into now a direct mail piece and you can, you know, in a deceptive way, try to, to suggest to the voter that all that's true. Mm. And five months from now, it gets dismissed. I see. That, that happens all the time. So this, this isn't like getting uh, audited by the IRS. I think I've been, I've had probably in my life, seven complaints filed by either when I was an incumbent or when I was running uh, with the Fair Political Practice Commission. And they, every one of them was dismissed. Perfect. But okay. after, after the campaign. Interesting. Yeah, I saw that yesterday. I, I, was, I was seeing that happen. I was like, okay. Mike knows about this. I, I, you know, I've, I've never had to file one of these, and I never probably will. See, you so learn so know. much on the Mike Stoker podcast we, in the Cabana. Yeah, we really you know? are. Whoever, who would ever thought? I mean, you listen to this podcast, and you find out how people manipulate the FPPC in political campaigns. <laughs> right. Happens I didn't know that. Happens all the time. Happens all the time. So for those of you that are listening for the first time, we're with Mike Stoker. This is the Mike Stoker podcast. Mike was a former uh, deputy secretary of state, county supervisor. And most recently, he was in the Trump administration as a regional administrator for the EPA. So it's I'm very interested to hear Mike's thoughts on the first 200 days. So here we are in August and we've had a, 
a little bit of an opportunity to see some of these policies begin to be enacted, and we've seen some results. Mike, take us through your thoughts on the first 200 days. Well, you know, I wanted Nolan actually to queue up our show today with the uh, the group, the the Who, uh, had <laughs> has a song called "Won't Get Fooled Again," um, which would have been perfect lead into the show because, you know, as I just mentioned earlier, um, all the data I looked at and and assessed in in the the 2018 election, um, I really believe President Trump lost because people voted against the person and not the policies. Um, you know, when you look, especially in the Rust Belt and the swing states, you know, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, um, the, you know, those states, Georgia, that, that he lost, that he won in 2016, and that was the difference in the election. Um, those are fairly conservative states. They believe in kind of the, the American work ethic, uh, they're really kind of middle of the road, but lean, lean you know, pro-labor, which they, they uh, Trump did very well in the polling in 2016 in those states because of his, you know, make America great again, bring the manufacturing back. Uh, the labor vote got behind him. And on in 2000, um, um, in, in, in the 2020 election, um, basically the polling showed they all loved his policy on taking engaging China, you know, uh, the trade deals with China, you know, um, we're going to bring the manufacturing back. But I, Trump was his own worst enemy. And this is coming from a high, you know, level Trump appointee. Um, I turned off the very first presidential debate. I've never turned off a presidential debate in my life since I was born in 55. My first debate, I remember black and white TV, 1960, Kennedy, Nixon. I've watched every presidential debate. And as a high level, you know, presidential appointee, I turned off the first presidential debate when Trump would continually interrupt Biden, wouldn't let him talk. I was embarrassed. I told my wife, I can't watch this anymore. Um, and I said, probably this is the this is the election. You know, this this is a defining moment. And all his tweets over four years, um, his style was OK for getting him elected. They, people wanted kind of someone that was going to, you know, drain the swamp but he needed to learn to be a little more presidential and he never did and you know i would you know i i would throw out there and i really strongly believe in a lot of data supports it that what made the difference in this election by probably anywhere from six to ten points was not his policies but was his personality that people just said i've had enough of this and in their minds figured how, you know, Biden's a nice guy, smiling Joe, you know, he's a really nice guy, been around a long time. Let's get back to more civility again. Um, and they voted for Biden on personality. They voted against Trump on personality. And this was probably an election for the first time in a long time that policy really became secondary. So, you know, I think that's really important to get out there as we look at Biden's scorecard, because when you contrast it, I think there's a lot of buyer's remorse, you know, in, in America right now. I saw a poll about two weeks ago. I forget where it was from. Uh, that was in the Rust Belt states and the states that he lost that basically suggested if the election was held today that he would win those states because 
now they're looking at Biden and the consequences and they're they're willing to kind of accept a personality that they don't like because of the policies that they now see that are coming back to, you know, coming back to the roost, coming back home. So, you know, let's go over, you know, diff- what I did is I broke this into energy, environment, foreign policy, economy and borders and immigration. So, I mean, let, you know, and I gave a grade for each one energy. Under the Trump administration, for the first time, because of his pro-energy policies, um, uh, policies that, you know, it was not anti, um, it, it was not against policies that are, are for sustainable energy and clean energy. It was a policy, the Trump basically, I, if you had to contrast the two policies, the Trump policy on energy was sustainable energy is great. And we should fully support it in clean energy. It's great that when I say sustainable, I mean clean uh, energy that doesn't have a carbon footprint, you know, wind, solar, tidal, you know, the, the traditional clean energy sources. The policy in the Trump administration is we fully support it, but we can't do that overnight. So we're going to support our, you know, natural gas, our, our domestic natural gas, our domestic uh, oil. Uh, coal, which coal today is you have coal scrubbers, so it's very clean compared to coal that was 40 years ago. So it, all of the tr- all our carbon sources of energy have a far much less um, carbon footprint when used than they did 40 years ago. It's kind of like our automobile today. Our automobile today is 98% cleaner when it runs than it was in 1960. Uh, because of, of, of the, the, the requirements that we have for reduced emissions. Uh, and that's why we have catalytic converters. And what that does is it cleans what's coming out of the tailpipe, even though we're using gasoline. Well, the same thing applies when you look at natural gas and oil and coal. So the Trump administration's policy was, let's promote that. Let's become energy sufficient, not be energy dependent, and fully support clean and alternative energy sources, uh, sustainable energy sources, uh, that that when we can transition, we transition. And as a result of that, we had the Keystone Pipeline that was being built that was going to come from Canada, which is a very environmentally oriented, uh, conscious country. Um, it was going to bring you know oil, natural gas over. Um, and for the first time in 40 years on the energy front, America was energy dependent. We were we were exporting not importing oil. Uh, the new, the, the Biden administration's policy is basically the best way to get us to clean and alternative energy sources is shut down all the carbon sources. So we sh- they shut down the Keystone Pipeline, which I find it also back in the scorecard, very, very ironic and hypocritical that he approved the Russian pipeline to Germany. Because if you really believe in the client, if you're doing all this for climate change, then how does that work for his, you know, climate change is a global, not just not the United mm-hmm. States. It's global. The whole globe has has an atmosphere and you and, and you're dealing with, you know, the, the premises with carbon emissions. We're depleting the ozone layer throughout the whole world. So why would he approve the uh, the, the, the Russian pipeline, which the only way it could really get built was with American technology. And that's why 
really he held the cards. That pipeline could have been stopped. I kind of was shocked. I mean, what you kill the Keystone pipeline with American jobs, but you promote the, uh, the, the, the Russian pipeline, which will be American companies, but not so many American jobs because the jobs they'll recruit over there. So you're going to have actually, you'll have Russians and, and Germans and Europeans that will be the bulk of the labor there. So that was approved. So now we're exporting oil. We're, we're now went from exporting oil uh, to importing oil. And, and, and if you look at our energy prices have skyrocketed again, that had been stabilized in the Trump administration, which I'll tell you the consequences of energy prices going up in regards to inflation when we talk about the economy. Um, and so when I when you look at the overall energy picture, whether you want to look at how much you have to pay at the gas pump, whether we're now dependent, and I would say from an environmental perspective, we've lost because folks, you, you need to understand this. Um, when all of a sudden you say uh, you have a policy in America that says, we're not going to have domestic production anymore. Uh, if you have a car, you still need gasoline. If you have a home and you want electricity, you still need to have it turned on somehow. Um, when we now start importing that, that energy, that oil, you know how it gets here? Oil tankers that come from Venezuela and Saudi Arabia. You know what has one of the worst carbon footprints? Oil tankers. So it's not like that. Uh, even on the energy front, the people that are doing all this for to deal with climate change, you, you end up still losing because we don't have that ability yet to just flick the switch. And that was the Trump policy, uh, energy policy saying, let's promote all this and we, we can have a, a transition over the next 10 years. But you can't just take mm -hmm. and have a, a switch on and off for here's where our economy is, is based today in terms of energy, we're going to flick that switch and we convert over to what they want tomorrow. It can't be done. So who backfills it is going to be generally people that aren't necessarily our friends, don't support our best interest, but they'll sell us their oil because they make a whole lot of money from that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I go on the energy front on that one. Um, I give it a, you know, I gave it a D. You know, I didn't give it an F, but I gave it a D for the reason I just stated. Yeah, Mike, a quick question about this. You know, I was thinking about this. You're talking about the Keystone Pipeline. The, the oil's still getting moved from Canada to the U.S., is it not? Is no, it, no, 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 it's, it's not. What Can I mean, not through the pipeline, but... No, Canada is now going to transport it to Russia. Interesting. Yeah, through oil tankers. They're going to go tankers. through Vancouver. And that's, so, no, that's how they, they're, they're, they, they are... We, we may buy it indirectly, but, it's but, gonna, it's, but it's Russia, go all around the world. Canada can get more money from Russia interesting and so back to the carbon footprint instead of it coming just down here which would not be as exactly. far i mean well it, we still through, it, a, through a pipeline that does, it, the carbon footprint on that is zero right you know it's not like it's on an oil tank well the transportation portion is, exactly. is basically right. zero i mean you have an element of carbon you know carbon emissions with construction mm -hmm. and maintenance and but, running but, but not but an 18 wheeler right but the bottom line is is, is canada's made it very clear that that mm -hmm. oil is going to go to russia and, then, okay, so and we're going to get ours from Venezuela, um, and we're going to get it from Saudi from Arabia. Saudi Arabia. And some people even think we very well may end up getting it from Iran. Interesting, because <laughs> it gets brokered. We won't buy it directly through mm -hmm. Iran because you can't. It's illegal. We not not the U.S. But Arab countries that we do business with, if there's and you know if there's third party brokering, it's there's some that say that's probably going to happen. Okay. Second question. I you know we we're sitting here in California. You know, 
kind of branded as a very green, progressive, environmentally conscious place. And I think in a lot of ways, it how is. come there's still cars and gas stations? My, my, my question is, I, I want to, yeah, what, yeah, in right. California, I see a lot of gas stations and they seem to be in continued use. <laughs> yeah, okay, I, back I, to your yeah, question. Yeah. I had to throw that um, my, so I've noticed in the last, I mean, in this last two years, I think we have at least one nuclear power plant, the Diablo Canyon power plant is shut down. And I know in the last 10 to 15 years, there's been well, a San few. Clemente. San Clemente, you know, San Onofre. I mean, there's been a few that have been shutting down and there's even more slated to be shut down. Why would you shut down nuclear power plants when, when that, I mean, again, not perfectly clean, but a lot. No, that's about as clean. Than, you, you know, yeah, it is I mean, almost perfectly clean. You, you have to do something with the fuel in 50, 100 years from now, but it's a lot cleaner than coal. It's a lot cleaner than you know, it, gas, a lot cleaner than oil. The environmental move, any movement needs a cause to survive. Mm -hmm. Okay. You, you, need, you need a cause. So you have supporters that contribute to the cause and the environmental world. If you look at the Sierra club back in the seventies, after you had a series of, uh, you, you did have, um, uh, uh, oh, what was the, uh, power plant that we had the issue back on the East coast. And oh, three mile Island. Yeah. Uh, three mile, three mile, yeah. I think it's yeah, three mile. Island. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In New Jersey, correct? New Jersey, yeah. yeah, that, yeah, three mile. But you basically had some major, major problems with the uh, the, 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 the nuclear power plant in Russia that mm -hmm. literally a whole, a whole community mm -hmm. was, was wiped out. And what that did, it gave you know, basically the environmental community before we ever were talking about global warming, this was in the mm -hmm. 70s said no to nuclear power is bad that's a new cause of ours okay and that was something the sierra club and you know the surf riders environmental defense center they all you know came on hot, hot and strong that's going to become their cause and it was their cause um and once you create a cause and you educate people you, you have a problem backing off from it and in fact um one of the co-founders of greenpeace i forget his name uh you could probably you know do your fact check oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. but one of the co-founders literally left Greenpeace over the debate on nuclear energy, because if you look at today's um, nuclear power plant, it's a completely different model. They're much smaller. They serve just smaller community. When you go to Europe, when you go to France, mm -hmm. which France, which is really known for the green movement, is basically, I think it's 70 to 80 percent nuclear power all, because yeah. they realize that's where, and, and if you look at how they're being served, they're not being served by these large three mile island plants. Um, and that's where that co-founder left because he said, if we really believe now in global warming or climate change and it's caused by carbon emissions, the energy we should be supporting is nuclear power. Uh, and he left over that. And so basically, I mean, you know, I, I, you know, I've always been a strong supporter. I mean, I, I think if you really believe, if you want to reduce the carbon footprint, and you want to do it rapidly and quickly where so that, with that switch that is that's where you had and should be heading but i think that debate i think so many people have been you know really indoctrinated into believing nuclear power is so bad and so horrible and, and it's not safe. it's 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 almost a unwinnable battle and i think that train's pulled out of the station up from a purely policy intellectual level that's where i think we should be heading i think we should be extending diablo uh, we have that many more safeguards. We haven't had any instances with, with mm -hmm. Diablo. Um, and, and, but back to your question, um, it's a hundred percent, I think what started with the environmental movement and the environmental organizations 
again, every organization needs causes, you know, whether it's legitimate cause or not, they need something for their members to rally around. Uh, and a lot of the environmental um, uh, 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 organizations back in the 70s, it was nuclear power. And I think there was major indoctrination then uh, that led to most Americans, if you were to do, pull them today and say, is nuclear power good or bad? They're going to say it's bad. So nobody even gets into that debate. I mean, Trump never even got out on we're going to we're going to restore nuclear power again. He basically his policy, as I said earlier, was we're going to use these sources, oil, natural gas, coal in a much cleaner way and use them as we transition to alternative and clean energy sources when we can do so. So this so bottom line, energy D, D. as in David, D is in David, D is in David. So we only got through one bullet point. We have to go to a break. But Mike, why don't you tell us what we're going to be doing with this nonprofit minute? Yeah, um, you know, what I decided to do, I want to use uh, our breaks for starting today with all future shows. And I'm going to let different nonprofits have a one minute platform to promote their, you know, we got great nonprofits in this country, in this community. Uh, and I'm going to give them one minute to promote their you know, their nonprofit, promote their upcoming fundraising events, whatever they want to do, uh, it will be the nonprofit platform uh, break. So that's what we'll be doing starting today. Fantastic. Well, let's go to the break. This is the Mike Stoker podcast. We'll be right back. I'm Dean Wilson, the president and CEO of the Turner Foundation. On December 16th, we will host our legacy gala with NBA basketball greats Magic Johnson and Jerry West at the Rosewood Miramar Beach, presented by Farmers and Merchants Bank. On Friday, December 17th, we'll host the Jerry West Golf Classic at the Sandpiper Golf Club. We would love for you to join us. For information on sponsorship and tickets, please call 805-730-1200 or go to theturnerfoundation.com. Welcome back. You're listening to the Mike Stoker Podcast, Episode 3. We're talking about a Biden administration scorecard over the first 200 days with the Honorable Mike Stoker. Nolan Anderson's with us. Three guys in a cabana, half a mile from the Pacific Ocean. We're not mad at anybody. We're just talking about the issues. We're talking about the truth. And we're trying to bring you an informative podcast that you can trust. So we hope you'll stay with us. Keep checking in. Some great episodes scheduled going forward. Episode one was on the California recall. Episode two on the situation in Afghanistan. And here we are talking today about kind of an overall scorecard. I did read a USA Today article today saying that uh, President Biden has fallen to 35% among independents. Uh, I think the Afghanistan situation seems to be taking a little bit of a toll in the polls. But let's go back to Mike. Let's, we started with energy. Uh, Mike's grade for the Biden administration was a D, as in David. Um, but but well, let's move on from there, Mike, to the next issue. Okay, well, you know, as I said earlier, remaining would be environment, foreign policy, economy, borders, and immigration. So, you know, on the environment, you know, I, I, I ultimately gave him a B. There's not really a whole lot, I think, there. I mean, I think, you know, we're going to talk about it on our show uh, this Friday, uh, in terms of the environment and uh, the state of the true state of the environment and Trump's response. And I think, you know, I'm going to be able to, you know, kind of put to rest two myths. One myth is the, the environment's so much worse off today than it used to, than it was 50 years ago, when in fact it's just the opposite. 
The other is the Trump administration was soft on the environment. And I'm going to clearly prove uh, that we weren't. Uh, we did things that prior administrations, uh, the Clinton administration, Obama administration that claimed they were for the environment didn't do. But we'll talk about that on Friday. Um, and so, you know, I can't really there, there's nothing I I, there's nothing that's negative really about, obviously, you know, President Biden cares about the environment. Um, we just talked about it in terms of on energy. I think he, I think his heart is in the right place. I think on things like climate change, they care so much about the environment that they respond with bad policies like uh, on the economy and shutting down energy. But clearly there's a passion on the environment. One thing that I think that, um, Biden's administration with Biden's EPA and Mike Reagan being appointed the administrator. Uh, what, one of the things I do like that I've seen, I think they are a lot stronger are in what's called environmental justice and the environment. And any of the uh, folks that work in the environmental world know what I'm talking about when it's environmental justice. And environmental justice is basically um, basically acknowledging that there's certain areas, generally it's in poor neighborhoods and that, that have really taken the brunt of, of pollution um, and, you know, uh, toxic waste, you know, bad water, bad, clean, not dirty air. Uh, and environmental justice basically says, let's acknowledge those areas. Let's acknowledge those places that were hurt and let's let, let's come to the table and give relief where, where it's deserved. Kind of in an environmental way, it's like affirmative action. We discriminated all these years. Now we need to come up to the plate and we need to now, you know, give folks that were discriminated against that extra opportunity. Environmental justice, what you call environmental justice, kind of does the same thing um, for, for those people that have been subjected to environmental uh, nightmares, so to speak. Um, and so, I, I, you know, I, I, you could go a B, you could go an A. It's kind of a push with Trump. The one area that I think, you know, and it ties back into the economy, and I give a B on the environment because it's still dealing with the environment. The big difference, I think, between the Trump administration and the Biden administration um, is the Trump administration had a policy. I was told when I became, you know, by the White House before I became EPA regional administrator, we don't want to do away with laws and regulations that protect the environment, give us cleaner air, cleaner land, cleaner water. We want to do away with stupid regulations in the name of the environment that do nothing for the environment, but cost our businesses a lot of time and money. And we, we had 43 deregulatory actions that saved our nation's small businesses $5.9 billion annually. Almost by executive order, all those regulations were completely rolled back. You know, what we had accomplished, um, where, it where it could be done administratively, the Biden administration and Biden's EPA has undone administratively. What we, we accomplished through formal rulemaking, the Biden's administration is now starting new rulemaking to reverse it. So that's why if I was going to do anything on the environment, instead of it just saying it's a push, I give it a B. I mean, it's literally, I think, um, overall, not as good as the Trump administration, because as we'll talk about Friday, Trump administration was protecting the environment as much as the Biden administration uh, is currently protecting it. The difference is, is that we were undoing re regulations that didn't give us a cleaner environment. 
but hurt our businesses by costing extra time and money. So, so, so on the environment, it's a B. A B. Next. Foreign policy, I won't talk about Afghanistan. We talked about on the show, talked to it a little bit this morning. Uh, you know, that's a total disaster. Our allies, you know, don't trust us anymore. Taiwan, Israel, uh, United Kingdom, if you listen to the elected officials over the last uh, week, uh, have been, you know, not saying good things about the leadership uh, in, in Washington, good things about President Biden, really questioning our, you know, resolve to be there, have their backs. Afghanistan is a disaster. Iran has just it flaunting it in our faces, increasing the production uh, for, you know, uranium uh, enrichment that is subject, is available for bombs, not just for nuclear power, which we talked about earlier. Iran's okay with that. They, that, that they're all in on nuke, nuclear power. And we want them to be that. I think they're right on that one. We just don't want them to be all in on nukes, right. you know, which go into planes or go into missiles. And and, you know, they they're doing that. Russia and China, um, you know, look at the amount of cyber attacks that have increased in like uh, over. You know, you if you look at the numbers since Trump administration, it's kind of like the analogy of what happened on the border with illegal immigration. Literally the day after the president got in, the cyber attacks on our nation's businesses uh, on this country have just gone off the chart by Russia and China. Um, you have then looking at China, we've pretty much admit, uh, acknowledged or have been able to prove COVID it started in the Wuhan lab. Um, and you don't hear anything about this president talking about the consequences for China. You heard Trump talk about that all the time. I think the Chinese government, more, probably China more than anyone, is relieved that Biden got elected because the, for them to for, probably think from their perspective, having to at what point going forward in a second administration was were they going to have to be held to the task for what they reaped, reaped upon this world? Uh, and be held accountable in some way. Um, I, I think anybody listening, and I would welcome, you know, love to have that one-on-one -on -one debate, yeah, email me at mikestoker at AOL.com and, you know, be more than happy to get on the phone with you. Um, do, does anybody really truly believe that Biden is going to hold China as accountable as Trump would have? And I, I you know, so you got, you have the COVID issue. In terms of expansion, China has increased their rhetoric about, you know, like they had never have done um, in regards to they basically they've always wanted Taiwan. Uh, they believe they are, that Taiwan is China. Um, we have a pact with Chi Taiwan. I mean, everybody thinks of NATO. We don't think of CETO, the Southeast Asian, Asian Treaty Organization. CETO is for protecting Japan and our allies in the Southeast, of which South Korea is in and Taiwan is in, just like NATO is for Europe. Um, and China has been very out, outspoken in basically saying, you know, we're kind of at the end of our patience for Taiwan. And if I was China, I'd be saying, you know what? Our time for Taiwan is an Biden administration. Um, kind of like Iran is like, I, if you think about it, back to foreign policy, our enemies are looking at the opportunity, whether it's the Taliban in Afghanistan, Iran and what they're doing enriching their, you know, plutonium, uh, whether it's China and Taiwan, whether it's South Korea um, and, you know, what's, uh, you know, what's the South Korean... I love it. His title is the Supreme Grand Marshal. Yeah. Anywhere you have a title like that, you know, that's pretty scary. That's not a good <laughs> thing, uh, which is Kim Jong-un. 
Um, he has already announced plans to start up back up his missile testing program that all when they test are you know, coming towards the United States, which Trump had completely eliminated. So, you know, on trade, China has already announced publicly that they're basically no longer going to honor the trade packs that Trump had negotiated. I have a feeling if Trump was still president, they wouldn't have been making that announcement. There's a reason they made an agreement with Trump, because he knew that he was going to be very firm, firm uh, in regards to sanctions and in regards to, uh, you know, pr prohibiting, you know, ch Chinese goods to come in to America. Um, and they knew he was serious about it. They don't have that same feeling with Biden. And so they feel pretty much at liberty to be able to say, you know what, well, these agreements, you know, not we're not so much in on it anymore. Um, so, you know, when you go down, you know, ask you know, our allies, you know, go to Israel and Taiwan and the United Kingdom. And as I mentioned earlier, they've already said, you know, we have real concerns over, you know, the United States and, and, and how much they really have a resolve to be there to have our back. So, you know, you know, you go down everything in foreign policy. I mean, I don't know how you could go lower than an F. So I just give it an F. Right. So foreign policy F. Inflation, um, it's it's at its highest uh, since uh, 1979 in the Carter administration at 8%. I mentioned earlier, I think one of the main reasons that, you know, what's has started the inflation uh, to 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 grow in the U.S. is our, our energy policies. One of the major precursors, any economist will tell you, is energy prices, because when energy prices go up, now, when you're transporting the milk to the store on the you know trucks and the trains that cost that much more, now your 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 milk goes up, your eggs go up, uh, your your car that you're driving, the, you know the energy that's gone up. Uh, you pass that along to the consumer. That's what creates the vicious cycle of inflation. We haven't had the same this inflation since literally in the Carter administration. I remind people we're not there yet. I mean, I, people like Nolan are. Millennials and even a lot of our Generation Xers like you, Dean, don't even remember. I bought my first home in, in with a friend of mine. We went in together in 1982, um, and because coming out, I don't know, 1980 it was 1980, uh, and in the Carter administration, <laughs> um, interest rates got to 22 percent. People forget that. We no, you need to fact check that. We That's bought right. we bought a home together. And we were so happy. We were able to assume the loan. Back in those days, you could, you had assumptions, which our mortgage companies have done away with. You could assume the loan, of which we were thrilled to be able to assume the, you know, the mortgage. We 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 got an assumption. The person selling the house, we gave them cash, and then we, uh, you know, basically assumed their loan. That that loan was at twelve percent, and we were ecstatic. So, wow. um, I'm not saying we're going to get to twelve percent. You know, most people in the last 10 to 15 years, they don't remember interest rates being higher than 5%. Interest rates got to 22%. And that's caused by inflation. Because when you, you get, the only way you can really pull on the brakes with inflation is to increase interest rates so money isn't readily available. Um, you know, so right now we have a Fed that's have a policy you know, that, you know, they do not want to let those interest rates go up. At some point, you you have to put on the brakes if inflation keeps growing. So, you know, when you look at, um, I think in a recent poll, 62% of the American people said they don't feel comfortable the direction that America is headed in. Now, that could be Afghanistan. It could be a whole lot of things. 
Uh, but the bottom line is generally, and <laughs> when you ask in polling, the right direction, wrong direction, that's generally people's pocketbooks. That's their, how do they feel, you know, internally at home? Do, you know, do, am I, do I got my job? Am I going to have my paycheck? You know, do, am I going to be able to make, you know, pay the mortgage? Am I going to be able to send my kids to college? That's a direct economic litmus test. And majority of Americans right now, you know, you know, do not feel that we're headed in the right direction. Um, and then on the economy, I would just say the, you know, the COVID policies, and we can disagree on this, but, you know, it's, you know, you've had COVID policies that unemployment now is going on, continuing to go on through the federal government uh, that is allowing people to make more than their traditional unemployment because it's been supplemented by the feds to a, a sum of, I think it's additional, um, 400, it, it was originally, I believe, like $500 an additional $500 a, a week. I think it's now additional $350 a week. When you take what a state like California offers as a baseline, plus what the feds are offering, um, people aren't going back to work. We have 10 million unfilled jobs right now. Those are in the, that's in the hospitality industry, you know, hotels, motels, restaurants, that the person is going, I make more money if I if I just collect unemployment. That's not good for the economy. That means we're increasing our debt because that's being paid by you know trillion dollar you know bailout COVID bailout programs, uh, increasing the debt, which we're up to thirty trillion dollars, which also has consequences on inflation. By the way, folks, but I won't go into that right now. I already talked a little bit about inflation a minute ago. But the bottom line is. People, instead of getting a job and paying income taxes, are staying off because of our COVID economic policies. And, you know, people also don't realize another incentive and anybody listening and, you know, I don't blame you. The first twenty-three dollars or $24,000 of income you get in unemployment isn't even taxable. It's not considered income. So if I go work for the restaurant, one, I may not even make as much. Two, I got to declare that as income. My unemployment, I don't. So, you know, I, which I think is just a crazy policy, which is why several Republican governors in several Republican states said we're no longer going to accept the federal unemployment supplement because our restaurants are closing. And keep in mind that if you can't get enough people and you eventually close, you may never reopen again, which that has obviously negative consequences on the economy. So on the economy, I go D. Economy D. And the last is borders and immigration. I mean, turn on your TV. Look at what's going on. Literally the day after the inauguration, they were lined up. The, the amount of the, the numbers on how many people that we are, you know, detaining that are crossing illegally have gone up 327%. I mean, it is overwhelming on the border. You have Democratic mayors that in the last couple months have you know, spoken out against Biden and how crazy the, the, the immigration policies were, and they want to say, well, Trump started it. Trump had a, a very strong policy that we would not, you know, it was not uh, catch and release, which the Biden administration has reestablished. There's a reason why all the people mounted up at the borders the day after the inauguration, because they knew it was a new administration. Go Listen to your border, your, your border patrol agents say what the difference is. It's not me. I mean, you know, don't drink the Kool-Aid and just because Biden administration tells you something, believe it. Google it. Check out the facts. 
you know, they completely reversed the Trump administration policies that was building a wall that was securing the border. The numbers were down. People knew if they came here, they were going to not be, you know, caught and released. They were going to be detained and then they were going to be released back on the other side of the border uh, unless they had a really good grounds in terms of for asylum in a, in, with an immigration judge. Um, you know, and, and, and the bottom line is then you, you have Kamala Harris was created the czar of the immigration situation, didn't even go down to the borders for two months. Um, finally went to Laredo, like 10 miles above the border, didn't go to where ground, you know, ground central or ground, the, the ground zero, where everybody was literally in those, in the, like on the border, thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Um, you know, I, I don't know, my kids were growing up, there was that, you know, book, Where's Waldo? I mean, I, I mean, I think we need to start, maybe we'll start having a section on the, the, the podcast on Where's Pamela? You know, we, we, you didn't see Kamala in Afghanistan either. She was like gone. For, finally, she's reemerged because she went on a foreign policy trip to where'd she go? Singapore and Vietnam. And um, she slammed from Singapore. She was talking about China. Yeah, she didn't talk about we, Afghanistan. We, she yeah, I mean, refused right. to take questions on Afghanistan. But wait a minute. You know, hey, at least you're talking about one enemy, but we're not talking about the enemy that's just that just collapsed an entire government is going to be start killing innocent women and children. And, and men, you know, this is not yet yeah, people. I mean, seriously, the, the, the woman, as you said, Mike, in the last episode, this, this person that claims to be a bastion of, of protection for women and children, where are, you know, where has she been? She should have, we talked about it on the Afghans, uh, Afghanistan show. She should have been out. This was an opportunity for her uh, to use the bully pulpit of being the vice president of the United States to say, you know, we need world community, you know, United Nations. We need to we need to hold the Taliban accountable and monitor their actions and make sure the civil rights and the rights for women in Afghanistan are protected. She should have been out there. But again, you know, my kids always wear as Waldo. I'm going to start a new book or new, uh, you know, new model for the new generation is where's Camelot? <laughs> And be a little where's Kamala, you know. We should have we'll have a where's Kamala segment. That is good. I like on, it. Yeah. But I'll leave it up to you at the beginning you. of every I'll, show to I'll do, track you know, her down. do a where you, know, you track her down and you tell us where where's Kamala. Where's she been this week? Anyway, I, I want to talk about um going back to the, the border really quickly. Um and, and also tying this in with COVID. Um you know, I was talking to my father, I know he was listening, um, and he'll be happy to hear this. Um we were we were talking a couple weeks ago and talking about the, the admit, this administration's um, releasing of 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 immigrants um, into the into the U.S. who have not been tested for COVID, um, and we have these border communities. Um, I mean, I'm from Arizona. I didn't grow up right next to the border, but I know people that have grown up next to the border. I mean, it's it's not yeah, Naco and Nogales. Exactly. Yeah. There's 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 communities that are there. There's real legitimate fear, and now there's fear about COVID because. We have people entering our community who may not be have been tested, and we don't know. And we and we've seen hospital rates increase. We have a sur we know we have a surplus of vaccines. What, what I don't understand is why this administration doesn't say, you know what, we're, you know, all of the things aside, whether or not they get a court date, what you know, forget all of that. We'll give you the COVID nineteen vaccine. 
free of charge. Well, I, you well, know, you know, to, uh, the credit, I don't that, know. They, ha- I don't know if that's not offered. I, I, yeah, I, I, I don't want to take but it. I haven't I, heard, but to me, why wouldn't they offer it? You know, and, and, and to me, this, that's a, well, that's a it, PR slam dunk, it, right? It could be being offered. We don't know. I mean, I think the bigger issue, and, and again, I, I, if it isn't, then you're right on. I don't know why it's not offered in those encampments, and at least, yeah. but it, it, it very well could be. So one thing we don't want to ever do it's on true. the show, know, yeah. and, you know, if I don't know, I'm not going to make, you know, I'm not going to suggest the contrary, but what we do know is they are not being, you know, they're not getting COVID tested. No. And, you know, if I fly into America and I'm an American citizen, I have to have a valid COVID test within 72 hours or I don't get to leave the airport. You know, I go into immediate quarantine. Why are they allowed? Why is the only place in America that you can enter America is through illegal immigration? And that's why a lot of those in those border towns, especially in Texas, Democrat mayors were speaking out because their hospitals were getting at full capacity. Uh, mm-hmm. And they they came straight out and said, hey, obviously, you know, you have Dr. Fauci, super spreader, super spreader, super spreader. You know, we gave that speech for a year. And obviously, when you have thousands and thousands of people on the border mm-hmm. that have come migrated up in caravans, shoulder to shoulder, um, of which they, you know, a lot of things I was reading was estimating or guesstimating that the COVID amongst the the people illegally immigrating was probably in the 30% range, like one third had COVID and they weren't being tested. And I think the reason the administration by administration didn't require them to start being tested because then you have the numbers, Mm -hmm. then they got to be held that much more accountable because then people are going to say, if you know they have COVID, how can you allow them to be released into the communities? So that would have been problematic if they required testing, but we don't know, or I don't know if they're not offering COVID vaccines. What I do know is they did not require testing before these people got released in those communities, which is another reason on foreign policy, you know, I give them a big F. Oh, and our Generation X, or all of a sudden he just had a, a quiet moment. Did you notice that? It was like <laughs> pondering. Well, I'd like to say hello to Nolan's dad if, he's, oh, if he yeah. is indeed listening. And, and I have a lot of questions for him. Oh, he, he, how yeah. did he, how did they create this wonderful <laughs> thing that is known as Nolan Anderson. That's what I want to know. Um, so the scorecards. So we have we have a D on energy, a B on environment, an F on foreign policy, a D on the economy, and an F on the borders and immigration. So, so it's a little bit of a downer, but we're not down. We're joyful. And, you know, one of the things I like about this is we're not talking about politics so much what? as policy. Yeah. What you're talking about right now, Mike, is things that affect people's lives. The cost of eggs, the cost of gasoline. You're, you're really talking about policy and policy matters. Elections have consequences because of policy. Right. I mean, and I mean, I, what, guess, I don't I, know where we, you know, that's an interesting question because I've been a person. In, you know, yeah, I know poli- you've been a politics. The policies are what lead in election time. And that's why I was, what I said earlier, um, I don't think the policy really came up in the 2020 election between Biden and Trump as much as it normally does. It became personality. Right. And I think, you know, the, you know, probably at least 10 percent of the voters that support the Trump policies, but don't support the, Trump, the person and his at, his demeanor uh, and his uh, uh, you know arrogance or elitist or elitist attitude, whatever you want to call it. Um, so they didn't even really go to the 
on the policy issue. You know, they turned off on that. They go, I, I don't like this this attitude. Probably they believing, you know, nobody can really reverse things that quickly. Uh, but elections do have consequences and you can reverse things quickly. Uh, because, but they, yeah, we are talking all the policies, but I think policy has become politics whenever you're dealing at election time. Yeah, I, I guess my point is, I, so I get so tired of the just anger. It's all about, I, I hate this guy. I hate that guy on both sides. Yeah. And, and that can be so tiring. And I think the country's tired of it. Whereas what we're talking about here right now is real life policy that affects real people's lives because elections have consequences. Right. And let's look at what's actually happening. And and, and combine that with the fact, you know, you have the anger factor, but then you have the factor of it's really hard to get the news. People are finding it hard to get the news. Is what I'm reading the truth? Or is it some angled spin from some news organization that is selling advertising? Where's the truth? What I love about this program and what, what we're doing here is we're trying our best. You gave them a B in one category. We're trying our best to t- just tell the truth. Right. Without the angle and the spin and the politics. You know, and I, I'm just thinking out loud almost uh, from what you're saying. It, you know, it, it's th- it's politics because I'm comparing the Trump administration policies to the Biden administration policies. We could could have done the what I just spent this this podcast doing was going through the Biden administration policies. I could have if you wanted to just talk policy debate, which I think you're at 100 percent right. I could have gone, okay, let's take the situation in Afghanistan. And I don't have to mention what was Trump's policy. What Should we have a policy that America exits on short notice, um, that is not done in a way that you have guarantees in place uh, to make sure the Taliban don't come in and become empowered and ultimately potentially take over the country? Um, or is it better for America to not get involved in other parts of the world and whatever the consequences are, I could keep out Biden and Trump and that would be a pure policy discussion. And, 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 and the listeners can decide, um, you know what, I don't like to see, you know, probably uh, Rand Paul would say, get out. He's a, you know, he's a libertarian that doesn't believe the United, the United States should get involved almost anywhere. Uh, and others would go, well, you know, we should get involved if our national security is involved. And then, so you could, you could have your own internal debate don't put Trump's name on it or Biden's. What do you think should happen in right. in Afghanistan? What do you think should happen? Should the Keystone Pipeline be allowed to be built? And here's the pros and here's the cons. Or uh, do you believe the Russian pipeline should be allowed to be built? Here's the pros and here's the cons. And then we're talking just policy. Right. The Biden scorecard. You've heard it here, episode three, the first 200 days. Like so I, I go, said- if you go D, B, F, and D and F, um, are you happy if you find out your kids in college get bring home that scorecard in their it's first semester? It's not a very strong GPA. It looks a little <laughs> bit like my senior year. Uh, anyway, <laughs> we're talking policy. We're uh, this is the Mike Stoker podcast, episode three. Glad you've joined us. Like I said, you know, three guys in a cabana, multi generational, a baby boomer, a Gen X, and a millennial fact checker uh, who's on his computer the entire show. Um, and it's a joyful podcast. And that's why we like it. We're not, like I said, we're not mad at anybody. We're trying to get to the truth. Hope it's informative. Tell a friend, send the link on, share it on social media. We'd love to have your friends join us as well. 
So this is the Mike Stoker Podcast. I'm Dean Wilson for Mike Stoker and Nolan Anderson. Thank you for joining us. And we'll see you next time for episode four.